So let's read from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the Lord, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Shall we pray together? Father God, we recognize that to know you, we need you to reveal yourself to us. And so we ask that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation today. Father God, we're asking that you would open our eyes to see things for the way that they really are because that is true wisdom. Lord, help us not to, to live under an illusion, not to live under the deception of the evil one, not to live under the lies even of our own mind and flesh, but instead give us a spirit of wisdom so that we would see things for the way they really are. And Father, we also ask that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened this morning. Father, every part of us needs to be enlightened to you. Father, a light needs to shine in our minds and a light needs to shine in our emotions and our body to reveal the truth so that we would see it and believe it and walk in obedience to it. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in the middle of the Bride of Christ series and today we're talking about the power of the church. I think that it's been long recognized that the power has the ability to corrupt us as human beings. I have a quote here, it was written more than 2,000 years ago by Plato, and he says, the measure of the man is what he does with power. The measure of a man is what he does with power. And then more recently, Abraham Lincoln, nearly all men can stand adversity. But if you want to test a man's character, give him power. My brother told me about a study which was done in the United States some time ago, where they took a whole lot of university students, and university students will do anything to get a bit of extra money. And so over the, over the holidays, they said, we're going to take you to this institution-like building, and half of you are going to be prisoners, and the other half are going to be prison wardens. And the ones who are prison wardens obviously are going to have authority and power over the prisoners. And then they left them to get on with it. And you know that in a matter of weeks they had to shut down that experiment because the ones who were prison warders were treating the prisoners so badly. And these were their fellow students. I mean, it's incredible. 
should have stopped at half time, but they did stop at half time. <laughs> I swapped at half time. Yes, that would have made it far more interesting, wouldn't it? <laughs> and I think we, we also have our own local examples of how power can corrupt people. So as we approach the subject of the power of the church, we need to keep that in mind, and I'll be referring back to it as we go along. How am I going to approach the subject? Well, I'm going to try and answer three questions or pose three questions. The first one is, what could the power that's available to the church be like? What could it be like? And the next question, why isn't it like this, the way we describe it? And then thirdly, what can we do about it? So what's it like? Um, why isn't it like this? And what can we do about it? So let's begin. First of all, at verse 19, if you could turn there, in Ephesians 1 verse 19, Paul writes that incomparably great power is available for us who believe. In other words, the church, not just one or two of us, but the church, the power is available to the church. And then he goes on to describe this particular power. Um, he tells us what it's like. And he says, it's like the power that raised Christ from the dead, and it's like the power that gives him supreme authority over absolutely everything and everyone, both now and forever. Isn't it amazing? I've read that passage twice today. Amazing to see how Paul just builds and builds and builds in intensity as he describes the power that Christ has. Not only in this age, but in the age to come. And then he goes on about all the different heavenly realms and far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, above every title. And when you reflect on that kind of authority, you realize that there needs to be power to go with it. Because if you don't have power, you can't have authority, can you? You need to have power to back your authority. I always used to, to enjoy watching rugby when Bucky's Buerta was still playing. Because he was always the enforcer. He was always the power. If, somebody, if the opposition did something bad to the Springboks, then they would commission him to go and enforce a little bit. <laughs> and uh, I, just, I just loved watching that. Maybe, maybe we're drawn to power. I think we are. I think we're drawn to power. Do you remember, I remember when I was a teenager and Gaddafi came to this country. People were fascinated. Everyone was fascinated by the fact that this tyrant was coming to our country. And I think it's because innately we're drawn to power. So, I've got a question. If this is the kind of power that's available to us as the church, why is it that so often we seem to be so powerless? Why isn't it like this? Why do we have this kind of power? And to answer this question, we need to recognize that Paul uses two metaphors or pictures for the church. The first metaphor is that the church is the body of Christ. We'll come back to that. And the second one is that the church is like a container that contains Christ. We contain Christ. So let's have a look at the first one. The, the church is the body of Christ. And remember, we're answering the question, why do we not have the sort of power that was described um, in verse 19. So look at verse 22 there. Paul tells us here that the church is the body of Christ. So concept here being that Jesus is no longer on the earth in the flesh as a human being, but he does still have hands and feet on earth. He's got a body on earth and we are his body. 
So in other words, our hands and our feet and our bodies are to be doing the kind of things that Jesus did when he was on earth. And since Jesus is our head, and he has supreme authority over everything, then we too have supreme authority. Isn't that what he's getting at in verse 22 there? But there's a snag. And Paul comes to this later on in chapter 4, verses 14 to 15. Let me give it to you there and I'll read it. He's talking about the fact that often the church appears to be like a bunch of infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every kind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. But what he wants to see, that's often what is the case, but what he wants to see, instead, speaking the truth in love, we need to grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Jesus Christ. So think of it. The church's head is perfectly developed and mature, namely Christ. But the church's body is underdeveloped. We're still very infantile. The church body needs to grow in strength so that it will become more powerful. Why isn't the church as powerful as it could be? Well, there's reason number one. The church is the body of Christ, but it's underdeveloped. And we'll talk about how we need to develop in maturity as we go on. Then let's look at verse 22 again. There it is. Paul uses two pictures. Remember, the first one was the church as the body of Christ. And now the second one is this, the church as a kind of container. So Paul calls the church the fullness of Christ. Now that Greek word can be used either to refer to a container or to the contents of the container. And here it's referring to the container. So the church is the fullness of Christ. The church is the container of Christ. And once again, that implies tremendous power, doesn't it? Because the person that we contain fills everything in every way. But once again, there's a snag. Let's have a look at chapter 4, verse 13, where Paul starts to develop some of these concepts. And this is what he says. The church needs to become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so Paul is using the same Greek word here, fullness, but here it refers to the contents of the container. So the church contains Christ, but to what measure? Do we contain the full measure of Christ, or only a half measure? And he's implying that we don't contain a full measure, and that we need to attain to that. So what can we do about it? What can we do to walk in power? And Paul gives us five things that we can do in Ephesians, but I'd like to focus on just one today because this is the pivotal one. This is the one that counts the most. Let me just set the scene for you. So as we, as we sense from the reading of this letter, Paul is far away from Ephesus, and the scholars think that he was likely to have been a prisoner in Rome. So he's moved on from Ephesus, and yet Paul writes here that I have not stopped remembering you in my prayers. And then in verse 17 he says, I keep asking God. So he's describing this sort of ongoing, fervent prayer. But this was prayer for Christians that had already been converted. Paul knew that he was writing to genuine Christians because he'd heard from afar about their faith. He says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith, 
and your love for all the saints. So he was convinced that they were Christians because he could see evidence of that in the way that they were loving one another and loving the church. Um, so why was this prayer necessary? The Ephesians had responded to Paul's mission. He'd appointed elders and pastors over the church. He'd moved on now. So surely, in a sense, Paul's work was over. But clearly Paul didn't think so. He obviously believed that the Ephesian Christians still needed his prayers and that his prayers would make a difference. So if he believed that these prayers were crucial and powerful and effective, let's have a look at what he prayed for, because surely the things he prayed for would highlight the kind of stuff that's pivotal to us today, pivotal for all Christians at all times. And this is what he prayed, if you, you can follow it there. He prayed that the Ephesians would get to know in a deeper way four things. First of all, God. Second of all, the hope of their calling. Third of all, God's inheritance in the church. And then fourthly, God's power for those that believe. Now it's significant that the first thing that he said, prayed for, was that they would come to know God. Think about this. Jesus had access to unlimited power, but he only used it in submission to his Father's will. And to know the Father's will, we need to know the Father, deeply, intimately. And so here's the thing. Folks, if it was like that for Jesus, it's the same for us. Do you think God is going to give you awesome power to do your own thing? If you don't have the maturity to wield that power, he won't give it to you because you'll know that it will destroy you and it will destroy the people around you. It would be a bit like giving a toddler a chainsaw. I just wouldn't do it. <laughs> if we want to experience and wield God's power, it starts, folks, with getting to know God. And it's not getting to know God so that we can get the power. The end in itself is getting to know God. That's the wonderful thing. I'd just like to take a moment to reflect on the importance of relationship with God. And, and God's given me such revelation, and I found it very exciting that in the last week. Have you ever wondered why God created human beings? I was sitting with an old guy on Friday, and he said to me, Ian, why did God create us? Why did he do all of this? And, and as I was trying to work that out, and I was asking God for wisdom and, and revelation, I, I thought about the fact that God had existed from eternity past in three persons, enjoying a perfect community of love. He was perfectly fulfilled in the Trinity. You know, he didn't need humans to love. He didn't need humans to be loving him in order to be a fulfilled God. But he decided to grow his family. Isn't that amazing? God decided to grow his family. He decided to expand the community of love. He created us for relationship and the joy that comes from a relationship. Think of it this way. Gail and I, we've always rejoiced in our love for each other. It's wonderful. And before the kids were, were, had arrived, we were fully satisfied and content in the love that we had for each other. But we also wanted to grow our family so that we could share and celebrate that love with children who, who, were, who that we created, co-created with God. And let me tell you, when it comes to Catherine and Matthew, 
I can delight in all sorts of things that those children do and have achieved in the way they like. I delight in, their, in, in seeing them adjusting into life and getting good marks. But the thing that I delight in above all else is being with them, is the relationship that I have with them. Yeah, I love it when they get good results in university. I like seeing them making friends. But those things are nothing compared to the joy that I experience when I'm actually with them. And even more so when we're together as a family. I just love it. <laughs> we can even do it now thanks to technology um, when we're all over the world. We have those little conference calls on the computer and I, we can see Catherine's face and Matthew's face and then Gail and I. And we just enjoy being together. We love being together. And sometimes uh, the internet connection in our house is not that great. Um, and so there'll be, you know, sometimes Catherine will freeze in a funny position or her voice will start to go slow or fast. And sometimes the whole family will sit literally for five minutes just killing ourselves laughing, <laughs> almost wetting our pants because it's just fun. You know, it's nice to be together. So now we need to ask ourselves the question, if God created us to expand his family and to be in relationship with us, how do we do it? How do we do this with a God that we can't see? And Paul lists three things that are needed in order to get to know God. And this is why he prays for these things so persistently. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So those are the first two things that we need in order to know God, wisdom and revelation. And the source of wisdom and revelation is literally, in the Greek, a spirit, a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And of course the NIV, in, in that translation you can see, takes it to be the Holy Spirit. And I think that that interpretation fits well with the context, the fact that God has given us His Holy Spirit, we can see that in verse uh, 13 and 14. It also accords with other biblical teaching on the role of the Holy Spirit. For example, John says, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. So number one, we need wisdom. I've been reflecting on that. I listened to a sermon by Tim Keller, and he defines wisdom as seeing things for what they really are. So for example, if you're facing a problem in your work situation, or in a relationship, or in your family, and you want to experience the power of God in that situation, in that circumstance, you need to ask God to give you wisdom. And the way that Tim Keller defines wisdom is to be able to see things for the way that they really are. What is the reason behind the reasons? What's going on below the surface? And so, whenever I'm facing something, I always ask the Lord, for wisdom. Father God, help me to see this thing through the lens of wisdom, not through the lens of fear, not through the lens of anxiety, not through the lens of anger or bitterness, but help me to see this from your perspective. Because it's only when we see things for, for the way that they really are that we're going to be able to um, work with God and also to exercise the power that God has given us. Because if we don't see things for the way they really are, we could be exercising his power in completely the wrong way. And so that's why we need the wisdom of God. Father God, we pray it every day. Whenever you face a problem, just say, Father God, please, you've given me a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Help me to see the situation 
the way that you see it. Help me to see it as reality, not some sort of a delusion that I'm living. I've gone through periods of time in my life when I've told myself stories about my circumstances or about other people, and they've been completely wrong. And sometimes when, it's, when the truth is revealed, I think to myself, how on earth could I believe that? And we just need the Holy Spirit to help us cut through all of that nonsense so that we see things the way that they really are. Number one, wisdom. Number two, revelation. Think of this. Um, think of anybody in your, in your life, in your sphere of influence. You, you spend time with them, maybe you go fishing with them, you observe them, you get to know quite a lot about them. But if you really want to know the deep things about that person, they have to reveal it to you, isn't it? It's revelation that counts. And so if I'm constantly talking to Gail and never listening to her, um, never seeking a revelation from her, some sort of self-disclosure of what she's feeling or what she's thinking or what she's hoping for, what she's frightened about, then I'm not going to get to know Gail. And it's the same with God. We need that spirit of revelation we need to ask God to reveal himself to us. We need to do it on a daily basis. Whenever we, we, we're doing something, we're just saying, Lord, what is your heart in this matter? What are you thinking? How would you handle this situation if you were doing it? Please, reveal yourself to me. Number three, enlightenment. You see that in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believes, who believe. Enlightenment. This is talking about the eyes of our heart being enlightened. Now what on earth is that? What are the eyes of our heart? In biblical usage at the time, the heart was considered to be the whole of the inward self, comprising your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's like the entire personality. So what we want is for every part of our personality to know and experience God. We don't want to have an emotionless experience of God. Ask for a revelation that affects your emotions. We don't want to have um, a revelation of God that doesn't engage our minds. We don't want to have a revelation of God that doesn't engage our will and our, our, our spirit. And so how do we do these things? I mean, we can't sort of conjure it up. We've just got to say, oh, Father God, please um, enlighten the eyes of my heart. And I often, um, you know, when, when I come to the scripture or when I'm sitting down to listen to the, to the sermon, I'll just say to the Lord, please enlighten the eyes of my heart. Think of it in this way. There's, there's truth, but it's hidden in darkness. And we need the light to shine on that truth so that we can see it accurately and perceive it just the way it is. That's what we need from God. Enlighten the, line, the eyes of my heart. And when you think of it, the reason why we can relate to God is because we've been born again. That being born again experience was like the starting point, the ultimate of enlightenment. Our whole personality was born again, was changed. Our wills, our minds, um, our emotions, our spirits, all born again. And so the whole of your inward self was recreated so that you could see God with your entire inward self. The fact that you're alive to God and can understand and believe spiritual truths can be traced back to your rebirth. And that's just so key, folks. 
if we're wherever you are on that faith journey, if you're if you're in a place where this doesn't make sense, maybe you need to be asking God to rebirth you on the inside. That's what being born again means. So that our entire being is recreated so that it can relate and connect with God. Now the thing is, folks, that wisdom, revelation, enlightenment, they all come from God. So it's no wonder that they, they are appropriated by prayer. We need to be walking in constant conversation and interaction with our Father God. We need to pray for our children. I would take those verses from Ephesians 1, verses 15 to 23. Change the pronouns, put your kids' names in there, and just pray, Father, I pray that the eyes of Catherine would be enlightened in order she may know the hope to which, and so on and so forth. Pray for your children, pray for your spouse, pray for your fellow church members, because we're only going to experience God in all His fullness when we experience Him as a body. We can't experience Him in all His fullness as individuals, because it's the church that contains Christ in all its fullness. So we need to pray for one another. Pray for me. Pray for other church leaders. Pray for the people that are in the congregation with you, that they would receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation and that they would get enlightenment from God. And so just in, in closing, although harvest is the body of Christ, we are underdeveloped. And although we contain Christ, we don't contain Him in all His fullness yet. So if we want to walk in power, we need to develop a mature local church body. And that's the first step to achieving this for each of us the first step to, to achieve that is for each of us to develop a deeper relationship with God. Paul says, pray without ceasing. In other words, our default setting, whenever there's a pause in life, should be, hey dad, what's happening? I'm, I'm just here. I'm listening. Remember what Samuel uh, was told to say? Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So at different times during the day, we just said, Lord, here I am. I'm listening. What do you have to say to me? And as we start to grow and develop, we will be the kind of people that, that God would be prepared to give us, give power to. Because he knows that it's not going to corrupt us. And because he knows that we're going to wield it in accordance with his will. Remember what Jesus said? He said, I only do what I see the Father do. I only say what I hear the Father say. All of his biggest temptations, folks, were to do with the misuse of power. When he was in the desert, for 40 days and 40 nights, Satan came to him and said, you're hungry, just turn these stones into bread. And you know, that was a sort of a symbol of a greater thing. Jesus, with the power that he had, could have done away with starvation in the world. He could have done away with all sickness. But was that what God wanted? He could have commanded all the nations of the earth to worship him without having to die on the cross. But he chose to do it God's way. And we need to be the same. Shall we pray? Father God, once again, as a body of believers, we want to commit ourselves to getting to know you in a deeper way. Father, there's so many trappings to our faith. There's so many things that we want to have um, as, a, as an end in themselves. Lord, please forgive us for that. 
and, and help us to want you, and only you, as the complete and ultimate end in itself. We just want to know you. Father, we, we want to experience you in a, in a much deeper way. And Father, we do look forward to, to experiencing and knowing your power in a greater measure. Because after all, you want it to be exercised. Because Jesus, you're no longer here in, in the flesh to be exercising your power. You want us to exercise it on your behalf. And how we long to be a mature enough body that you, that you, you would see us fit to have that power and to exercise it. And help us to walk with you this week. Help us to really know what it is to know you. Father, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and enlighten the eyes of our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm looking forward to seeing what God's going to do with us as a body, even as we take that simple step this week of just getting to be a little bit closer to the Lord Jesus Christ, a little bit closer to God, getting to know Him better.